Many years ago, before the arrival of telephones, the internet, and better ecumenical relations, an Episcopal priest wrote to his bishop asking him if it was okay for him to conduct a funeral for a Lutheran. Well, the bishop wrote back immediately. The bishop's reply was very simple. His instructions to the priest were as follows. Bury all the Lutherans possible. Yes, that's just a joke. Some of you, we love our Lutheran friends. But the events of the very first Pentecost, which we heard about in today's lesson from Acts, are not only responsible for the faith that you and I share today, but they buried any notion that this new Jesus movement was going to be just for a select culture, a select group of people, a select nation or language. So here's the quick summary of everything leading up to that. Are you ready? You got to hold on, strap yourself in, buckle up your seatbelts. Here we go. Jesus is crucified. His first followers scatter and hide. Jesus is raised. Jesus appears to some of his disciples. Some doubt, some believe. Jesus ascends to heaven. Okay. So then what do the very first Christians, the first disciples do? Well, having walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry, having heard his teachings, having witnessed his miracles, having seen him die, having seen him raised from the dead. The first Christians, the first disciples, right? They immediately go out into the world to proclaim the gospel, right? Wrong. They do nothing. They hide. They wait around. They're concerned that maybe the authorities are going to come after them. No preaching, no healing, no teaching, no reaching out to fellow Jews, certainly no reaching out to Gentiles, to non-Jews. If you had been a fly on the wall in first century Israel, observing the events that were taking place, you might come to the conclusion that while Jesus and his first followers, there were mysterious things about them and miraculous things took place through them, that that movement was over. A perplexing and inspiring movement perhaps, but the movement was over, right? Wrong. And to be fair to the disciples, they didn't exactly do nothing They stuck together. They prayed together. They talked about their experience of the risen Jesus together. And they probably wondered, what was it that they were supposed to do next? But nothing they did could really account for the birth of an international movement that would become comprised of billions of human beings from virtually every nation, tribe, and language enduring for over 20 centuries. A faith, a church enduring for over 20 centuries. None of that happened or even began to happen until after Pentecost, the festival that we celebrate today. What were the first Christians doing in the moments and days up to Pentecost? They were hiding out in Jerusalem. When, according to Acts chapter 2, the following took place. 
beginning here in verse 2. Suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one of them heard speaking in the native language of each. This bizarre event baffles and bewilders the international crowd in Jerusalem. But this crowd hears the sound, sees all this weird stuff and shows up and sort of bandies around, bundles around the first disciples. And here Peter, inspired and guided by the Spirit, preaches what could be considered the very first Christian sermon. Now, the sermon really goes through much of chapter 2. Today, our lesson only goes to verse 21. Say, verse 21. Verse 21. But here's how Peter goes in this spirit-driven sermon. He sort of makes this appeal at the height of his sermon. And we find that in Acts 2, beginning at verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what's the results of this very first Christian sermon inspired by the Spirit? What are the results? Acts 2.41. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and on that day about 3,000 persons were added. Wow! 3,000 persons were added to the Jesus movement. If that inspires you, say amen. Amen. I mean, now the Jesus movement ignites. Now the Jesus movement starts to be international with many peoples from many nations, tribes, and languages. Now it is taking off and getting somewhere. Yesterday, I was walking in Jackson Park, and I came upon a man who was painting. And I went up to him, and I looked at his canvas, and he looked at me and said, Yes, Father, this is, this is Muhammad Ali. I do portraits of boxers. I can knock them out really quickly. Get it? I can knock them out really quickly. Boxers knocking out. Okay, uh, let's ring the bell. Ding, ding, before one of you knocks me out. But did you notice the punch of this passage about Pentecost? It has huge implications for your life as a Christian. And it has huge implications for our life together as a parish family. Did you notice? Dr. Amy Oden, who is a professor of early Christianity. She sort of highlights to us the power of the punch of this passage about Pentecost. Here's what she writes. The gift of the Holy Spirit that marks the birth of the church is a gift expressly for those outside the Jesus movement. We cannot miss this. 
It is a spiritual gift given not for the disciples themselves, but for the outsiders listening. God's gift reaches outside the circle of Jesus's followers. And she summarizes it this way. One mark of the Holy Spirit's gifting is it empowers us to connect to others. I'm going to rewind that. If you want to join me in the rewind, go for it. One mark of the Holy Spirit's gifting is it empowers us to connect to others. So true, false statement, thumbs up for true, thumbs down for false. True or false statement, you tell me. A disciple of Jesus, the serious Christian, is empowered by the Holy Spirit to connect with others. I see lots of thumbs up. Yeah, absolutely. That is true. To connect with others who may not share your nationality, your tribe, or your language. To be a disciple of Jesus, to be a serious Christian, is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak of faith to the people around you in a way they can understand. Underline that with a red pen. To speak of faith to the people around you in a way they can understand. And it's a similar call for us as a parish family, as a congregation of disciples. We are to be empowered by the Spirit or driven by the Spirit to learn the speak of faith to those who might not share our, quote, Episcopal nationality. And to connect with those who may not share our generational, cultural, or political tribal identities. To connect with those who may not speak our liturgical and Christianese languages. Okay, so that's, that's as a congregation. Wow, okay. And that has big implications for us. Implications for signage, having signage, for having a second service, for how we spend our dollars, for how we organize ourselves. Lots of implications there. But let's get back to you in your individual life beyond the red doors of St. John's, your individual life of faith. What languages might the Holy Spirit be empowering you or encouraging you to learn, to speak? Would it be the language of a skeptic? Is there a skeptic in your life? How can you speak of faith to them in a way they can understand? Maybe you're being empowered or invited to speak the language of your children or grandchildren, whatever their age is. How can you speak of faith to them in a way they will understand? Or maybe you've been invited to speak the language of someone that you disagree with politically. You're on opposite sides, you think. How can you speak of faith to them in a way they can understand? What languages might the Holy Spirit be empowering or inviting us to learn as a congregation so that we can connect with those who live in our neighborhood, in our city, in our county, and beyond?
This is a matter for prayer. This is a matter for prayer. Probably something you got to pray on a regular basis, but a prayer, something like this, asking for the Holy Spirit's guidance by saying, God, I don't really know how to speak of faith to my friend, to the person I disagree with politically, to my child. So help me to listen to them deeply. And then when the moment is right, give me the right words to say. Notice it begins in listening deeply. And also we can pray the same thing for us as a congregation. We might say, we need the Spirit's guidance. We say, God, we don't always know how to speak of faith to those beyond our red doors. So help us to listen to them deeply. And then when the moment is right, give us the right words to say at the right time. Pentecost was not a one-time event. Pentecost happens again and again throughout the centuries. It happens now. The Spirit continues to make possible the Jesus movement. Let the Holy Spirit empower you to connect with others. Let the Holy Spirit empower you and invite you to learn to speak of faith to those around you in a way they can understand. Let the Holy Spirit continue to guide us as a congregation. If we truly desire renewal as a church, then we will need the Holy Spirit to fall freshly upon us. Let it be so. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Amen.